The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So again, uh, good morning. And uh, here, Sunday morning at IMC in California. And uh, good day to those of you who are in other places and around the globe. The What I'd like to talk about today is maybe a little bit experimental. It's more of a continu- continuation of reflections that I've been having. And maybe it's a way of continuing to think out loud around this. And that is that um, we all know that there's a tremendous amount of social division and discord that exists in our society around the world, but especially in here in the United States, especially now with the election um, uh, season in full swing. And um, for some of us, it's uh, more animosity and tension than in society and uh, hostility than it's been for over 40 years. And during the Vietnam War time and right afterwards, that time was pretty bad here in this country. So here it's good to go through cycles of this. And one of the questions then, this is what the reflection is, is what's the role of a Buddhist center or, or a Buddhist practice or Buddhist teachers uh, in this kind of uh, social, times of social discord and conflict? And, and, um, and uh, one of the principles that has characterized much of the insight meditation movement from the time it started and, and also part of IMC is to attempt to some degree to be politically neutral so that all political persuasions feel comfortable here to practice with the idea that meditation practice um, is very profound and significant and uh, it uh, transforms people into better citizens and um, better able to live in society in peaceful ways, harmonious ways, generous ways. And so, you know, it benefits people who are suffering. And so we want that benefit to be available to people freely, to all people, anybody, any kind of, everyone, everyone to feel welcome to come here and practice. And so, um, um, so we've made some decisions about staying relatively neutral and it can be argued that maybe we went too far, perhaps. But um, uh, remember, for example, in the uh, during the Iraq War in 2002, I guess it began 2001, 2002, that um, someone put a sign up on the window at IMC saying "No War in Iraq," and uh, so it was taken down because uh, there are people who come who. Uh, you know, there was a divided country back then. There were people who believed it was appropriate to go to war. And um, and we wanted everyone to come who felt uh, who wanted to practice and not feel like they were uh, challenged to come because they were, uh, you know, uh, their persuasion was not uh, appreciated. And certainly in the Inside Meditation Movement, I've talked to a number of people who have been uh, Republicans uh, in this predominantly, this predominantly liberal uh, scene, the insight scene, but they feel like it's very challenging for them to come and practice here because if they t- tell people what their persuasion is, there's a, sometimes quite a hostility towards them. So they just stay quiet about that. 
So how neutral should we be? And how neutral are we? Should we be politically with political positions, political social action and things like that? Is an open question. And um, a friend of mine who's a Buddhist teacher wanted to make a, a, a line between uh, being involved in politics, issues, political issues, as a Buddhist teacher versus being involved in issues of civil rights or uh, human rights or um, social justice. That the, for him there was a line between them where uh, civil rights, social justice, uh, uh, he sees a little bit more as outside the realm of politics um, and, um, and so that's okay to be involved there and take a position there. And that's an interesting, uh, uh, you know, uh, point of view. And so I'm trying to find my way with this. Also, where's the line? Where, where do we? Where is it too political for us? We shouldn't be that political. And and uh, and what is being too neutral? And where is that line? What? Where do we stand up and and, and involved in things? And uh, it's, you know, it's uh, maybe once uh, Buddhism is in this country for a lot longer, it'll be just like in Christianity. There'll be Buddhist centers that are identified really clearly and overtly with uh, liberal positions and ones that are overtly recognized with uh, maybe conservative uh, uh, orientations. And, um, and there's a little bit of that's beginning happening. But, um, but, you know, so where are we in IMC and where do we fit with this? So that's kind of the background for my reflections and what I've been thinking about lately. And so I went into the ancient texts, the suttas, to see uh, what we could read about there and might help understand Buddhist perspective on these things. And uh, so this talk is titled uh, The Buddha as an Activist. And, um, and it was clear, so if the Buddha, if, if, if an activist is someone who promotes social reform of some kind or other, then um, the Buddha was an activist because he was uh, explicitly trying to affect the whole world, to benefit the whole world. Uh, he advocated for the welfare, happiness, and well-being of the whole world. Um, and But more importantly, in terms of being an activist, I think, he encouraged his followers, his disciples, uh, to also go out and work for the welfare of many people, for the welfare of the whole world. So this idea that uh, uh, it's not a simply sit in meditation and don't do anything, um, and... Um, and uh, go into the forest and be a hermit. But uh, there was an uh, uh, explicit instructions to go out and benefit the world. And um, in some ways, the highest benefit from a traditional Buddhist point of view is to teach a path of liberation. Um, but is it limited to that? Uh, that you know, so it's not involved in politics or not involved in social issues of the time. So we have to remember the Buddha lived a long time ago he lived in the Bronze Age. And when, I ever, when I'm reminded he lived in the Bronze Age, I think that, uh, you know, I think, wow, that's such a different time than where we are today. And it was a, a pre-literate culture, and, um, and it was mostly an ag- agrarian society. Uh, they think that around the time of the Buddha, there was just the beginning of urban centers where there was uh, merchants and craftspeople who were doing their trade. And uh, and um, so it was a society where uh, there were no newspapers, there was no Facebook, there was no uh, you know mass communication, uh, and most people's relationships 
uh, were with people they had face-to-face contact with. And, um, and it was there that the Buddha addressed uh, issues. He couldn't really address um, elections. There were no elections in most of the countries he lived in. Um, uh, he couldn't, um, uh, you know, uh, advocate for legislation and new laws because uh, laws were just the whim of the king. And if you somehow crossed the king, uh, it was, could easily have been lethal to make the king angry. And there's no real economic systems, institutions, to change, to advocate for, uh, different economic theories for how society should be organized. Um, you know, it was very rudimentary. And, um, and there was no institutions to approach except, again, the king. And, um, and so there was very little... What, where, where activism works in the modern world, there wasn't those channels, there wasn't those places to go and uh, try to make... A change in our society. That, um, um, but instead of legislative, political, economic activism, the Buddha focused on uh, changing how people treated each other. So I think of it as kind of uh, activism in ethics, ethical activism. And this he put a tremendous amount of effort into. Um, and uh, he frequently advocated for people to not to harm each other. If, in fact, this idea of not harming each other could uh, is really at the over and over again at the heart of what the Buddha was trying to teach. That uh, the the path of practice meditation is really a pra- practice of not harming ourselves, but in learning to do that, also in the coming to a place of not harming the world around us. A person who became noble, a noble person. Uh, one of the titles for someone who is some degree of enlightenment, is described as someone who would not harm anyone at all. So this idea of living a harmless life is very important for him. Um, 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 but what made his what made his efforts to do this a form of activism in my kind of understanding, is that he didn't, he didn't just do it for himself. He didn't himself go out and advocate for people to live ethical, harm-free lives. He strongly advocated that his followers do that as well. That his followers go out and promote, prompt ethical behavior, support and encourage that for our society. So in that sense, he was trying to do more than just give teachings to the people he was directly encountering. He was trying to have a wider influence on society of his time. And that is where the Buddha was an activist. Um, so one way uh, <clears throat> of seeing this is, a, I think, a, uh, where a teaching where this is explicit is um, the Buddha taught often uh, that people should avoid the ten unskillful or unwholesome, unethical actions. Instead, they should do the ten skillful, ethical, wholesome actions. And um, so he has one set of teachings where he says um, that um, the ten unethical behaviors, tell you what they are in a minute, that they are, um, uh, they're harmful. But what's worse than harmful is what he's going to explain. 
And then he says, abstaining from these unethical behaviors is beautiful. And the word kalyana uh, overlaps with the word ethical, but it literally means beautiful. So it's kind of a more, it has a different flavor than just saying immoral or unethical. And they're, be- they're beautiful. So abstaining from these 10 unhealthy actions is beautiful. And then he says, and then there's something that's more than beautiful. So then he gives the teachings. So he says that 10 unskillful, unethical actions are killing, taking what is not given, stealing, sexual misconduct, lying, speaking divisive speech, harsh speech, um, uh, frivolous or pointless chatter, having ill will, being covetous, and having uh, something called uh, wrong view, uh, wrong understanding. So those those ten. But what's worse than those doing those things, killing, stealing, so forth? What's worst is to encourage others to do so as well. Now what's beautiful is to abstain from all of those. What's better than beautiful, more beautiful, transcends beauty, is to encourage others. Actually, the word is not encourage. Um, The word literally is more like to prompt others to uh, abstain from these unethical behaviors. And it doesn't take a lot of reflection to think about that what we have happening in our society in political uh, social levels is the expression of a tremendous amount of some version of the ten, some aspects of some of these ten unskillful actions. But what's interesting here, I find very interesting, he says um, people, we should prompt others to live ethically. He doesn't, uh, not in instructions to oppose others in terms of their ethics, oppose those who are unethical, but rather motivate them to be ethical. Now that is a challenging thing to do. Sometimes it can seem a lot easier to oppose people. And uh, if we, if, you know, if oppose people, we can defeat them. Oppose people, we can stop them. Oppose people, we can, you know. But the danger with opposition is that people, even if people do stop, they might be angry. They might be more upset. And it becomes building up pressure of an angry society if it's just a matter of uh, winning and losing. And, um, and so is there, an, is there another option? And um, so uh, and maybe that other option of, uh, that is, um, is much more difficult to figure out a way that's not oppositional. However, it might have longer benefits in the long term. Uh, to avoid having winners and losers. Um, now, one of the places you see the Buddha emphasize this non-oppositional approach to how he sees his activism, is what he was trying to promote, is that uh, one of the ten unskillful actions is divisive speech. And he says that when people are engaged in divisive speech, there are such people who try to create division and and perpetuate the divisions that are already there. 
And, um, and they love factional, factionalism. They, their expression is, um, they love factionalism, they delight in factionalism, they enjoy factionalism, and they speak to create factions. Um, uh, the, you know, partisan positions, real separations and us versus them. However, for those people who abstain from divisive speech, uh, what the speech they engage in is uh, they do speech that unites those who are divided and, and, uh, and uh, supports those who are already united. So they unite those who are divided, support those who are already united, and um, speak in such ways as to create harmony. So that was his instruction. So really, to find a way to avoid division. And if that becomes at the heart of this activism, it creates a particular flavor, not only to what's being taught, but also how it's being done. Because you can't really um, create opposition and divide if what you're trying to do is to create harmony. And, but if we're trying to get people to stop killing and stealing and all, you know, institutions or governments to stop all these unethical behaviors, um, politicians to stop involved in violence and taking what's not given and sexual misconduct and uh, lying and divisive speech, harsh speech, uh, pointless speech, ill will, covetousness, if you try to avoid all these things, um, uh, uh, you know, how do we do that in ways that avoid creating opposition? Um, the Buddha, when he was talking to his monastics, he said to the monks and nuns that they should act for the welfare of many people, for the happiness of many people, for the benefit, welfare, and happiness of many people. So it's re- kind of repetitive, but it's really making this point to the really go help people, work for their benefit. Um, uh, and they should do that in three ways. They should prompt others in physical acts of concord. They should prompt others in verbal acts of concord. And they should prompt others in mental acts of concord to create unity, concord, community. So here we see this emphasis again on concord. Um, So that's what he said to monastics. Uh, Maybe for kings, uh, it's a little bit hard in the ancient world maybe to advocate with kings to change their ways. Uh, The slightest whim, the kings could, you know, kill a person back then, and they did. Um, But uh, what the Buddha did was he um, told stories. He was a great storyteller, and some of them, these stories might be considered myths uh, in our in our kind of um, modern kind of understanding. And um, and he tells told a myth about an ancient king, ancient kings, and how kings lived. And he said that uh, uh, that um, uh, if there's poverty, if people are poor the king should provide them with means, uh, with support. And then if they don't do that, and the myth is a story of of a king who didn't do this, um, then um, uh, poverty will spread. And if poverty spread, people will steal. 
to just to be able to eat and have food. And if then the king um, uses violence to punish people, this will only spread violence through the kingdom as well. And then uh, more and more the violence, more and more factionalism, more and more conflict, and the conflict spreads not only between all the different parties in society, but also within families, and and uh, things can get pretty ugly. So, um, so th- so he uses myth to make this story, and uh, and you know when I first read about these Buddhist myths, I kind of didn't think too much about them, but when I think that. Uh, Back in an, an oral culture, before there was literature and all these different things, um, that uh, it was through speech that was memorable that ideas spread through society. And these stories, like myth-like stories, they kind of functioned like the Facebook of the, in the ancient world. And if you had a good story, people would tell it and retell it. And if that story was one that promoted ethics, care for other people, avoiding uh, divisions, avoiding factionalism, avoiding violence. Um, that was one way maybe to uh, change minds in a kind of a little bit of roundabout way or rather than, um, you know, coming up to the king and, uh, you know, protesting directly. Um, now, one of the interesting things I see in this ancient teaching is that uh, in being an activist, in speaking up and trying to encourage people to be ethical, um, it's um, uh, the activist does not sacrifice uh, their own ethical or wholesome behavior in working to end unethical behavior in others. In other words, you can't be unethical to promote ethics. And, um, and, uh, and so we see that little bit in some of the the Buddha's instructions around some of the ten skillful or ethical behaviors that he promoted. Um, this includes that one should never be hostile. Um, uh, uh, even privately in one's own thoughts. But instead, one would wish to be uh, others to be, uh, to be free from animosity, oppression, anxiety, and for them to live at ease. So when we really come from a place of goodwill uh, in doing what we're doing, this is kind of a high uh, standard that the Buddha has about any kind of behavior in relationship to other people, to, to not have hostility. Um, and to speak uh, in words. So instead of speaking frivolous talk, the, uh, the Buddha said one should speak at the right time and do so with words which are treasured, reasoned, defined and beneficial. In terms of not killing, the Buddha said that, um, uh, you know, one shouldn't kill, but he added to, to that, the positive side of that, um, was he said, um, um, uh, we should encourage or prompt other people to put down their weapons. So not just get them to stop to kill, but to put down the weapons. You know, back then in the Bronze Age, that was swords and spears and arrows and things like that. In addition, uh, in abstaining uh, from killing, uh, one should also be gentle and kind and caring for the welfare of all living beings. So we find a kind of a, a trend or a kind of a, a flavor in the Buddha's ethical teaching. He encouraged people to be ethical. 
he encouraged people to support and encourage, prompt others to be ethical. A difficult task, uh, very difficult. Um, how do you change people so they want to, so they're motivated to be ethical? That's the, that's the goal. And I don't have an easy answer to that. But uh, what a great goal that is. And, um, and so to be unethical or be oppositional uh, to people doesn't really work. So what works? What makes a difference for people? Uh, I wonder if stories make a difference. The Buddha told myths that people have uh, uh, evoked people's imagination, evoked people's uh, story mind, which is, uh, often goes deeper into people's imagination, into the hearts, than uh, just, uh, you know, protesting. And this, uh, so the Buddha's idea, as challenging as all this is, the Buddha's approach to uh, what I'm calling activism uh, is rooted in one of the main principles, main purposes of the whole teaching. And that is, in addition to not harming, it's to, or because, in order to not to harm, is to be free from greed, hatred, and delusion. The Buddha emphasized we should constantly be working to uproot greed, hate, and delusion within us. And, um, and if we uproot greed, hate, and delusion within us, then the way we act in the world would also be, act, speak, and think in the world would also be free from greed, hate, and delusion. And, um, and so this is such an important part of Buddhist practice to become free of greed, hate, and delusion that if we want to be activists, if we want to make a change in our society and politics and economics, uh, I think it uh, becomes sooner or later it becomes quite a natural thing or quite a d- devoted thing for Buddhist practitioners to uh, do it free of greed, hatred, and delusion. Um, because that's what they're working to cleanse themselves from, free themselves from. Uh, they want it to be liberated from. But not a retired liberation, but then to bring that non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion to step into the world and make a difference. Um, so how does all this uh, then uh, translate to the modern world, to us here, IMC or around this country? Um, and I th- I'm a little bit uh, self-conscious in talking about this because it seems simplistic, it seems like it's too idealistic, too challenging to make the real difference that uh, we, many of us would hope to see. And... Um, and, uh, and there's, you know, all kinds of arguments being made why um, it, uh, you know, this kind of more nonviolent effort can't work. And so, you know, we have to do some version of violence or some version of hostility or some version of being really oppositional and really confrontational or something. Um, but um, I think the task for Buddhists... Um, certainly can be to advocate for the end of systems, institutions, and politicians who engage in some or all of the ten unethical behaviors. And, um, but such advocacy, I think, aims to create bridges, not to break bridges down that because of its strong emphasis on creating concord and unity and healing divides, 
is there a way of advocating strongly and powerfully in a way that um, uh, doesn't perpetuate divides? How do we step in and create bridges uh, for the common good? Can we try to bring people together to work together for the common good, free of factionalism? So, as I said, doing such activism is neither easy nor fast. It, it requires strong confidence in the value of the kind of ethical behavior the Buddha emphasized. Strong confidence in the value of staying free of hatred, uh, greed, and delusion. Uh, free of uh, strong confidence in avoiding violence. Uh, not just physical violence, but there's also... Um, kind of uh, verbal violence and of different kinds or verbal you know strategies political strategies that are imposing the uh, one's will onto others which is kind of uh, violent um, it's an activism that aims to change the psychological foundation uh, to which uneth- from which unethical behavior arises and so, regardless of how idealistic this whole approach is, is working to establish generosity, love, and wisdom as the foundation for society, so that fear is no longer the foundation. So, I don't really answer the question I began with, but um, it's the... Um, you know what is where where's the line between stepping up into this public sphere politics and society and taking a stand and uh, and where and how do we do it and um and and where's the line where we don't when we get too political and um and maybe one way to answer that question is uh maybe there's an alternative to protesting maybe protesting is too oppositional but um, but maybe there's another way that is not a protest, but maybe is more powerful. And uh, maybe it's um, acts of, powerful acts of, um, of presence, powerful acts of showing up in such a way that an alternative is being shown that can't be ignored. Maybe rather than protests, there are uh, there are <laughs> demonstrations of love, demonstrations of kindness and support. They're, it's being demonstrated in such a powerful way that it touches people's hearts and minds and and changes people, or uh, or so uh, uh, to, to that they drop their hostility and forcefulness and division that exists. So we can look for the third option. We can look for uh, how we can work together for the common good. Look for options that can work for everyone, not just one party or the other. That was my attempt at this topic. I feel inadequate in this topic, and so I want to say that, that... uh, it still remains a reflection, finding a way with all this. And, um, and maybe some of you are also looking, finding your way. And if you are looking towards Buddhism for 
leadership in this regard, or what would Buddhists do? Um, certainly, I've presented the Buddhist point of view in a very, hopefully, a clear way that um, we would, uh, whatever we do, we would be ethical, and we would prompt, figure out ways to motivate others to be ethical as well. And you can't motivate people in a healthy way by threatening them or opposing them. So how do we do that? How do we become friends with people in such a way we touch their hearts and to change change something? So uh, this will be an ongoing question for me, an ongoing question for maybe some of you and for our society. And um, And hopefully we will not only find our way with it, but I hope we make a difference for the world so the world becomes a better place and a friendlier place for everyone concerned. May all beings become each other's friends. Thank you.